You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Well, our guest speaker this morning, we're, we're very blessed to have Travis, who is serving on our lead team. He serves as our financial director over the ministries of Refuge, uh, the Christian daycare center and Christian school. And so he's become part of, of our family here, and uh, we are especially blessed by his wife, Jen, and daughter, Emily. Uh, they're just a real blessing. Uh, Travis actually is a former pastor of Evergreen Church here in this community, and so there's a calling on his life. He has a pastoral anointing and call, and I believe you're going to see that evidence today. <laughs> Excuse me. And... Uh, one of the things, I just, I got a little bit of background information, just want to make sure I get all the details right, okay? <laughs> Thank God for iPads, right? Got to find your place on the iPad before you can, can use it correctly. Um, <clears throat> how many of you love North Dakota? Awesome, yeah. He's a native of North Dakota, and he's a graduate of, of Trinity Bible College, which is actually in North Dakota. And he's also uh, received his master's in Christian ministries at Evangel in Springfield, Missouri, which is the Assembly of God Theological Seminary. And so this guy has been adequately prepared for the calling of God in his life. And one of the things we, we see is when a person answers the call of God, uh, there is a time of preparation. And, and we appreciate you heart Travis for the kingdom of God. Uh, he's been a joy to have on staff. We really were concerned because we didn't think anybody could ever replace Norm, and nobody could replace Norm. But certainly he has been a blessing uh, serving this ministry in so many ways. So without any further delay, I want to, you to give Travis a, a wonderful welcome this morning as he comes to minister to us from God's word. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Matt. Um, before we get into the message this morning, I just want to take care of a, a couple different things. Um, one, happy birthday. Um, I'm glad that they said your age <laughs> in the announcement. That was, that was excellent. I know you love that. Um, but also, there was another special birthday this, this uh, weekend. Actually, is today. We celebrated it this, past, or this weekend. But um, I also wanted to do... a kind of something along with that as well, and I wanted to invite my wife and daughter up here, because some of you know me, some of you know my wife, some of you know my daughter, but you don't know that all three of us go together. So um, if you guys just want to run up here real quick, just for identification purposes, Jennifer, my wife, Emily, our daughter, and it's Emily's birthday today. Um, yay! So as much as I love you, Matt, um, today's a little more special, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, so thank you guys. You can you can be seated. Um, I wanted to sing Happy Birthday. I don't. Know, do you guys feel like singing Happy Birthday? Is that is that okay to Emily? Yeah, Emily's saying no. Well, that's too bad. I have the microphone, so that means I have the control. Um, so I'm not too great of a singer. You might want to turn me down a little bit. I'm just kidding. Um, but let's sing Happy Birthday. Emily is her name. So we'll just kind of do the the short version. But Okay, ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday, dear Emily. Happy birthday to you. Yay. Now blow out your candles. Sorry, too bad. I have decided. We are in our series this month. It's about halfway over, however you want to split up a half in, in this month. Um, and today we are on the topic and on the title of The Real Jesus. So if you are taking notes, uh, you can write The Real Jesus down on your notes. And we will be looking at 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. If you got a little handout, a booklet, when you came in this morning, or if you grabbed one from the seat back in front of you, it's going to say John chapter 14 in there. Um, I, I changed my mind and, and, and kind of rerouted that a little bit. Originally, I was going to preach from there. So if there's any, if you're looking at, wait, John 14, we're not in there. Um, that changed for me a couple of, of days ago. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So when Matt first asked me if I would like to preach uh, in this series, and, and particularly with this subject, the real Jesus, I just, I just thought real quick, what is, who is Jesus? What does it mean to me, and what, and what does it mean in Scripture, this phrase, this term, the real Jesus? And so my mind went to a couple of places, but one of the first places it went to was, who is Jesus in us and for us when we go through difficult times in life. Because if you've lived for any amount of time, um, whether it's as a Christian, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, um, you'll go through some kind of difficulty, some kind of discouragement, some kind of just hard, trying time in life. And who is Jesus in those moments for us? Who is Jesus in those seasons for us? Are, who are we in those times and in that, those seasons, who are we running to? What things or what people are we turning to in times of difficulty, in times of, of trial and suffering and need? Who are we going to? Are we going to Jesus? Are we going to our friends only? What is our response to our, our difficulty in life? And so this series this month is, is kind of about next steps. It's I've become a Christian, kind of now what's next? And for those of us that have been Christians for a while, it can also be a time of reevaluating and recalibrating our hearts and minds and saying, all right, what are kind of some of the foundational things that I need to know about my faith and about my walk with Jesus that will help me to not only get through life, but to be victorious, to live a life that is fulfilling and filled with love and, and filled with purpose and we're identifying who we are in Christ and walking out who he has made us to be and, and the things that he has called us to do. And what we're going to look at in today's passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, is we're going to look at uh, a situation that the Apostle Paul found himself in and what he did to encourage himself, what the Lord did to encourage him to continue on. Because the Apostle Paul had a, a fairly difficult life. He faced trial and discouragement and depression and, and, and inward struggles and trials for a good part of his life and his ministry as a Christian because God had called him to start churches. All across the world, all across the Mediterranean, Paul had been a guy who was killing Christians. God saved him, and then he became a guy who was starting churches. So he wanted to end the church, and then God saved him to be a person who created and built the church. And so he also told Paul, he said, look, Paul, you're going to go through some suffering, and you're going to go through, through some things 
for my name, for my sake, because you're walking for me, you're standing for me. And so 2 Corinthians, if you've, ever, if you've never read through it before, I encourage you to do so, especially if you're in the season of difficulty. You just feel like God is distant. You feel like nothing can go right. God, you've made these promises, but my family's just difficult. My, my work, people just hate me, and all this stuff is just terrible. I thought life was going to be better than this when I, you know, when I gave it to you. 2 Corinthians essentially is a memoir of Paul's difficulties. And Paul's discouragements. And so if, if, you're ever, if you're in that season, maybe you're in that season this morning, um, read through 2 Corinthians and be encouraged. Because we have a God who loves us. We have a God that is working for us. He's doing things behind the scenes right now that you have no idea what he's doing. He's working in the lives of people that you may not even know that they're gonna end, he's going to end up using them to bless you and to turn your, your life and your situation around. And so Paul is, is going to get at this this morning. And so what... What are we going to do as Christians when we're faced with difficulty and when we're faced with discouragement and, and maybe even different forms of depression? What are we going to do? Who are we going to turn to? And so this passage this morning, the real Jesus is a Jesus who is with you. He's a Jesus who is for you. He's a, he is, 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 a, is a God. He is a, a man. He is a person who wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to give you the endurance to get through any difficulty that you're going through. And so we're going to see this in the life of Paul this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to there. If you're not there yet, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. These will also be up on the screen for us. But we're going to look at Paul's struggle that he was going through in this particular passage. Read with me starting here in verse 12. And I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. When I came to Troas, Paul writes, to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So we can see here that, that Paul is, in just two verses, giving us sort of a brushstroke of where he's at, what he's doing, and how he's feeling. Paul had been traveling around the Mediterranean uh, doing, doing ministry as God had called him, starting churches in certain communities, staying there for around two years, sometimes more, to, uh, to preach people getting saved, and he would train them up to be leaders in the church so that they could lead and, and, and grow a healthy, thriving church. And so Paul was traveling on the, um, on the west side of, of the Mediterranean, and he was, he was going up. Um, to what would eventually kind of become the Black Sea. It's opposite of the city of Corinth. Uh, but he was traveling, and it says here in verse 12, he, he tells us that he came to this city called Troas to preach the gospel. And he went there, and he was preaching, and people were getting saved. Ministry was happening. Most likely people were getting healed because that was part of the apostolic function and calling when he was preaching. Signs and wonders would follow people getting healed and delivered and, and all sorts of awesome things. And Paul says, I, I was there. I went to Troas to preach the gospel, and a door was open for me. So, so good things were happening. Ministry, God was moving around him. God was moving in front of him and, and doing things in people's lives. And, and he says here, but my spirit was not at rest. You see, some of the context here in 2 Corinthians was Paul had started a church or a set of house churches in a city called Corinth, was just, which was just across the sea from where he was currently at when he was describing this story, and there was some trouble going on in Corinth. 
There was a lot of, uh, of people doing sinful things and, and, and not listening to him, not listening to their leadership. There was all kinds of corruption and things going on in the church, and it, it, it troubled him. He was worried, and, and he was upset that they were doing things that, that were harmful to them, that it was harmful to the church body, and even though he wasn't there with them, it, it ached his heart. Have you ever felt that way? You, maybe you went away to college, or, or maybe now you live far away from, from family, and, and, and they're going through some stuff and you physically can't be there with them and your heart just aches and longs and you wish you could be there and to just to comfort them and, and struggle with them and, and weep with them. That's how Paul's feeling. He's, he's saying, look, I'm preaching and doing this ministry and it's awesome. People are getting saved and all stuff, but my heart hurts. And I, I, I just, I, like, I can't get into it. I, I can't I, I, I can't appreciate what's going on right now because my mind and my heart are somewhere else and, and it's broken and it's, and it's hurting. And he says, my spirit's not at rest. And he continues on, I did not find my brother Titus. Or Titus for Paul was a guy, he was, he was an encourager. Maybe some of you have a friend where, where you just want to kind of go unload and, and talk with them and kind of vent with them and they're just there. They, they listen, they sympathize with you. They're like, oh, I, you know, I love you, girl. I love you, man. This is tough and, this, you know, that's not right and all that stuff. And it's just a, a person of encouragement. And so Paul, he was, he was away from Corinth. He wanted to be there to help them, to correct them, to take care of uh, these certain things that were happening he couldn't be there and he was hoping that Tim or that Titus was going to meet him because Titus lived in Corinth he was helping to pastor and minister in Corinth he was hoping Titus would show up so he could hear about updates that were going on because you know they didn't have Twitter they didn't have email there wasn't this instant update stuff they actually had to travel to go talk to people or or send handwritten letters and so he wanted this update he hadn't heard an update in a while he was hoping Titus meet me there I want to be encouraged I want to hear about the good things that are going on but Titus wasn't there and so Paul is just, he's consumed with, with negativity and the negative things going on. He can't even enjoy what God's doing in front of him. He says, I was just discouraged. And, and maybe you're discouraged about something in, in life today. Maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe life is going pretty well. Man, things are going awesome. You know, my family, my kids, my job, my, my house, everything's going great. And that's awesome. It, it should. And, and that's great that that's happening. And what, what I want to encourage you with today is not to tune out saying, well, I'm not discouraged. I'm not unhappy or anything. So I don't, this really doesn't apply to me. Trust me, at some point in some, sometime in the future in your life, there's going to come some kind of situation where discouragement is going to set in. Uh, man, I'm not going to be able to get out of this. And am I ever going to be able to pay off this debt? It's just weighing me down. And it's not even worth trying to save money. And like all this other stuff that can happen in our lives. I just want to encourage you to, to take hold of, of what the Word of God says this morning. Remember it. Tuck it away somewhere so that, that when that situation comes up, when that time comes up, you can refer back to this and you can be encouraged. And so what Paul is saying, he's, he's saying, look, there's this, almost this depression that's over me. I can't even enjoy the good things going around for me. And as Pastor Matt had mentioned, uh, I pastored a, a church in town, in this community here for a year, and about six months into it, not necessarily knowing exactly where it came from, it was a lot of external pressures, a lot of, a lot of things going on that were out of my control, that were just weighing down on me, both uh, kind of physically, but also inwardly, a lot of care and concern I had for people in the church. And really, long story short, I ended up 
going into a season while pastoring where, where I was depressed. And, uh, and, not, and I didn't really know how to, to get through it, to get out of it. You know, I was reading Scripture and just still, okay, I'm reading Scripture and I believe this and this really isn't helping me out. And, and it just continued to progress to the point where I, I felt like I wasn't healthy enough to continue to lead and to pastor people. Because I had gotten to the point where uh, I didn't really want to be around people because it was just too much for me, and I just kind of wanted to be a recluse and seclude myself and hide. And you can't, you can't do that as a pastor. You know, you got to be there with people and for people and to encourage them and, and love them. And so I just felt like I'm not healthy enough to do this. And so began the process of resigning and resigned. And after I resigned, I didn't really realize how much emotional inward pressure I had felt and I was going through. And I went through this emotional detox, I like to call it, and for like probably two weeks, I think, right, Jen, I, I could barely even mentally function. I tried working in our, our, our coffee kiosk that we have, a drive through coffee shop, and Jen would tell me something to train me in. And literally right after she told me, I couldn't even remember it. And I, like, sometimes it was even hard to form sentences. I was just in this cloud and, and, um, and, and going through that kind of stuff. And so I was sitting at, at home one day, and there was a church that we used to attend when we were going to seminary, getting our master's degree, it was both my wife and I. And occasionally I'll, I'll listen to, to their messages online. And I, and I heard a message from this passage that they had preached. And I heard it and I thought, man, that's what I need. And I began to get a little bit encouraged and then kind of forgot about it and slipped back into being discouraged and, you know, Eeyore kind of thing again which is sort of my disposition, but Jesus works in me and through me on that. Yeah, amen. My optimistic wife says amen. Um, and so I heard it, and then I, I went back to it about a month or two later, and it just it helped. It pulled me out of the darkness and out of the, the cloud that I was in. And, and, and there was good things happening in the lives of people uh, in, in the church, and they, they were making leaps and steps and getting baptized in the Spirit and experiencing the presence of God that they had never felt or experienced before. And I, like, I couldn't appreciate it because of my own inward struggle and, and discouragement. And so God used this message to help lift me out. And I share all that story to say, listen to this this morning, read this, study this, keep, keep an, an outline in your Bible of this, pin this wherever you need to pin this, and hold on to this, because maybe it could be something that could help you as it has helped me in the past. And so what we're going to look at in verses 14 through 17 are four things that Paul was thankful to God for that he, that he confessed. And Paul had to do some self-preaching here in these verses. And so when you read these three verses, it's Paul doing some self-preaching because he's discouraged, but he realizes, he's like, look, if I just go around mopey like this and if I allow this thing to just dominate me and take over, uh, just take over my life, I'm not going to be able to do what God has called me to do. I'm not going to be able to enjoy any of this and so I, he just had to remind himself of who God is, what God has done, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has called him to do. And before we do that, I, I do want to read a quote out of a book called Spiritual Depression. It's by a guy named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he, he wrote this book a while ago. And so when I, when I say depression and when we reference depression and discouragement here in this passage, this isn't necessarily the, a chemical imbalance kind of depression because that's completely different than what Paul was dealing with. 
Paul was dealing with there's external circumstances of life that are causing me to feel this way. That's completely different. So if you have depression, I'm not saying that this passage is going to heal you of your depression, although God can do that, and God will do that. What I am saying is if there's external things going on in your life that are causing stress and causing depression and causing anguish, this is what Paul was dealing with, and this is what this past, or that this quote from this book is dealing with. But I wanted to read this because this is really awesome, and it helps kind of paint this picture, too, from another author, just so it's not coming from my mouth. If we want to begin to put that up there, Daniel. And so he begins to write in this section out of one of his chapters, the main art of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering around in this depressed way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. The essence of the matter is to understand, understand that this self of ours, this other man within us, he's got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. And I think we read this one already, didn't we? No. Abrade himself, exhort him, encourage him, remind him of what you know instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. And so what we're going to see from this letter from Paul and how he reminded himself and allowed the Spirit of God to empower him through this remembrance to help lift him out is hopefully an encouragement for you this morning. So let's look at the first one. This is going to be in the first part of verse 14. But thanks be to God. I just love how he starts that off. My life is kind of, my inward life is just in ruins right now. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. And so the first thing that that he says is, but thanks be to God. How many of you, when you're down and out and you just don't feel like talking to anyone and people are hating on you and all that stuff, you say, but thanks be to God. I don't. (laughs) Ask my wife. I complain and I, man, this is, man. But I hope I can learn as long, along with you, alongside of you, that our first response in those times is to say, but thanks be to God. Who in Christ always leads us. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. So the first thing that Paul was thankful for, the first thing that we ought to be thankful for in these times, in these seasons and situations, is that Jesus always leads us. That he always leads us, that he, he, he's never going to leave us, he's never going to forsake us. Sure, we go, go through times where it feels like God is distant, where he's not helping us, and he's just kind of letting us wallow around in our own little pool of misery. And God, where are you? Why are you not helping me? And those are valid complaints, and God wants to hear those. But Paul is saying, God, I thank you that you never leave me, that you're always leading me, even though I, I may not feel it or see it or experience it right now. I know you're leading me, and I trust in you. You're the good shepherd and you're you're leading me to good places even though I'm not in a good place right now. And Paul kind of echoes this statement in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 when he writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things, how many things? 
All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul, if you want to kind of rephrase that verse and that statement, he's saying, look, God is working things out behind the scenes. And like I mentioned earlier, you don't know what he's doing, but trust me, he's doing something. And he's working it out without you knowing it. Sometimes we just say, God, just let me in on this. Let me know so that I can calm down a little bit. But then there's no trust involved. And man, do we have a hard time trusting God. And so Paul is just saying, God's working things out. He's working it out for the good. So have some endurance and let's complain a little less and be thankful a little more. But thanks be to God, he always leads us. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to leave you. And then secondly, we see... In the, in the next part of verse 14, if we continue reading, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. How does he lead us? In triumphal procession. So the second thing is not only does Jesus lead us, but he leads us in victory. Now he uses this two-word phrase, triumphal procession. Nothing probably comes to our minds as far as what he's saying, but when he writes these words, immediately his readers understand what he's referring to and what he's talking about. And so since we don't, I'll, I'll, I'll describe the imagery that Paul is trying to use to communicate the victory that Jesus leads us in. See, back in, in Rome, in, in the Middle East, the Roman Empire, what they would do whenever an army general had a victory in a country and if they, they slaughtered 5,000 or more people and they kind of you know, took over a region or a territory or, or any kind of part of land and there was, it was a big victory, you know, 5,000 deaths, they took this much spoil, whatever. What they would do is the leaders in Rome, they would throw this parade, this procession to celebrate the, the victory, to celebrate the conquering of another piece of territory than that that has just become theirs. And so what this procession, they called it a triumphal procession, and so what this procession looked like most of the time was they would be in Rome, people would have lined the streets on, on all the streets that this procession, that this parade was going to go down. People would be, people from all over the city um, would be around, they'd be holding flowers and you know flowers on strings and they'd be throwing flowers. There would be priests and other people on the sides of the streets waving incense. So it just, it, it smelled beautiful there was this floral aroma there was this incense going and it, it just it would smell amazing and so in this procession in this line or this parade if you will typically the the, the order would be the the captives the the people who had just been defeated would be up in the front they would be chained together um, typically it would be the the general from that conquered army would be up in the front and then all his soldiers so all the captives would be walking down they'd be walking first and I don't maybe people were jeering but they were mostly celebrating and so um, so that the enemy was out in the front and they were being led most likely either to to torture some of them to death um, but their their future was uncertain but most likely they were they were going to experience death in, in the city of Rome. And then behind them would be senators and other leaders uh, from the Roman Empire would be in there. Some of the chief priests would also be along with them. And then behind them would be the, the, the Roman general who had won the victory, who had made, made, uh, made the conquering quest, and his 
all of his soldiers and all of his um, other people, captains and such, would be with him. And they would be on chariots riding around um, in there. And they would be going down the streets and people would be shouting, kind of like, like a Super Bowl parade, kind of on steroids maybe. No pun or connection involved, <laughs> intended there, but... It was this huge thing, and everyone knew about it. And so all of Rome would gather, and, and they would yell. They would yell. You know, uh, they would sing fight songs. The army would be singing fight songs, celebrating the general and the victory. And, and people would just be yelling, "Oh victory! Oh victory! Oh victory!" And so Paul is saying, in Jesus, but thanks be to God, because Jesus leads us in triumphal procession all the time. And so what is he saying? He says, in the end we win. No matter what you're going through, how discouraged you are, how depressed you are, in the end we win that Jesus is leading you. He's not just leading you. He's not just grabbing you by the back of your shirt and dragging you on the ground. Oh, I guess... I guess I got to win this thing. But he's saying, no, Jesus leads us in triumphal procession that the victory has been won and that we're, the, all of heaven is celebrating. And he's saying, look, this thing is fun and it's awesome and you're not defeated. Whatever you're going through, this thing is not going to hold you down. It's not going to keep you back because Jesus leads us in victory. And Paul writes again here in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, he writes a similar thing. He says, no, in all these things, in what things? All these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have victory in Jesus. That hymn wasn't written for, for no particular reason. We have victory in Christ. And so Paul, he's, he's reminding himself of the things. Thank you, God, that you never leave me. Thank you, God, that you're leading me in victory, that this discouragement I have over this church in Corinth and all the things that are going on, that you're leading me in victory and that I don't have to remain in this state of defeat. Amen? Number three as we move on. This is going to be the second half of verse 14 through the first part of verse 16. This third one that Paul is thankful for is that Jesus allows us to influence others. So not only is Jesus leading us, not only is he leading us in victory, but he allows us and uses us to influence others for Christ. Let's read along. And through us, so but thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among the ho those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And to one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. You see, Paul is, is reminding himself and he's being thankful for the fact that Jesus is, is using him and still using him and wants to continue to use him. And he uses this imagery and this description here of spreading a fragrance. And so he wants to, to use this imagery of this fragrance to remind you and me, to remind his readers and, and his church in Corinth at the time, that, that God is alive in you. 
that God in his presence and in his spirits takes up residence inside of you, and there's an aroma that the presence of God has. And we see here in this passage that that aroma can either be pleasant, it can smell nice and beautiful and loving and encouraging and beneficial to other people, or it can stink. It can smell like a boy's locker room. (laughs) If you've ever had the joy um, of smelling a men's locker room, hopefully you haven't, but it's kind of gross. But he's saying, look. The presence of God is, is, is in you and you carry it with you. So when you're going home and maybe you have an, an unsaved spouse, the aroma of God is on you and in you and it can either be pleasant or it can be offensive. Maybe you're going to work and you're, you're, maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace and, and there's going to be some people, they just don't like you because they know you're a Christian. Maybe they don't even know you're a Christian. They just sense this presence about you and they, just, they don't like you for it. It's that aroma of God that is, is displeasing to them. Maybe, uh, maybe it's not in a workplace or family. Maybe there's even some friends that you've had that you weren't a Christian, you got saved, now you are, and you weren't very preachy with them or anything, but just because the presence of God now is on you and in your life, they no longer like you. They're just offend, offended by you and, and how you've changed your life, and that's just how it is. And that's just how it is. And so he's using this, the, this phrase to say that the, we're spreading the fragrance of Christ everywhere. And so think of this, this Roman, this triumphal procession. There's people there, they're throwing flowers, they're waving flowers, there's incense being waved. Okay, there's two different perspectives from two different groups of people in that parade. Imagine you have been conquered by Rome, and you're in chains, and you're walking down the street, and you're smelling these flowers, you're smelling these incense. What does that smell like to you? I'm not going to a good place. I hate this smell. The last smell you're ever going to know, the last smell that you're ever going to remember is this, this smell, this, this aroma, and you hate it, and you're afraid of it, and you, you want to do everything you, you can to, uh, to get away from it, but you can't. Now imagine you're a Roman citizen. Man, that smells awesome. Those flowers... It's springtime, those flowers smell good, this incense, oh man, it's lovely. And that smell smells like victory. That smell, that smell sounds positive, we're awesome, we're conquering, we're growing, and all this, all these different things. And so Paul's saying, look, this aroma that we have of the presence of God, for some it's going to be life, and for others it's going to be death. And something that's very interesting about how he repeats these words, in verse 16 he says, to one it's going to be a fragrance from death to death, to other it's going to be a fragrance from life to life. Greek, which the New Testament is written in, they, they don't have superlatives like we do in our grammar. We can't say, man, this was very super awesome and cool. and all. We, like they don't have that in Greek. Um, they have the word awesome, but not in the way that, that we use it. So they don't have superlatives to add to the, the emotion and the meaning of words so they would what they would do is they would use two words either back to back or very close to each other to get a point across and so most likely what Paul's doing here is he, when he says from life to life what does he mean he means the best life and what's the best life the best life is eternal life life eternal life that never ends life that actually gets better when we when as we go along and even as we die, that's the best life. So this fragrance of the presence of God we carry has the potential to save people, to show them and allow them to feel and experience the love of God, the hope of God, the transformation of God, the redemption of God for what he's doing in your life. 
But for some, he says, it's going to be a fragrance from death to death. So what is he saying? He's saying this, it could be the worst kind of death. And what's the worst kind of death? Not just dying physically, but being separated eternally from God. Now, maybe you've lived through some hell on earth, but think about this. God's presence is everywhere at all times. Imagine living in a place where God's presence isn't there. We have some bad and dark corners in our world, but God, and God's presence is there. Imagine God's presence not being somewhere. And so Paul is saying, look, Life and death hang in the balance by how we live and how we communicate the gospel and, and how we allow the fragrance of his aroma and of his presence to infiltrate everywhere that we go. So when you go to work, instead of saying, man, God, I really hate working in a place where there's no Christians. People don't like me because of it. And this and that. Instead of saying, say, God, thank you that I can be your aroma in this workplace, that, that maybe someone can experience you and know you and know your presence in my life and begin thanking him for that instead of complaining about it and looking for a different job where there is other Christians and stuff like that. And for those of us that work here at Good News Fellowship Church Incorporated, Refuge, the, the school and the daycare, just because you work around Christians all the time doesn't mean that you can give off bad aroma. And I'm not pointing fingers and doing that kind of stuff. It might sound like that, but some days I'm not incredibly happy either. And I might come across as like, you know, being mean or not wanting to talk or whatever, but that includes if you're working with Christians too. Man, give off, give off some good aroma. Be life to people. Be encouraging to people and support them in, in, in pursuing God in the things that, that we're doing. But Paul's also saying here that this is a life or death kind of deal. We didn't just get saved and, and, and sign up for this thing just to, for a better life or just to kind of hide in our own little holy huddles and, and, and not be influential in, in other people's lives. He's saying life and death are at stake. And he continues on to this, this fourth point or this, this fourth observation in verses 16 and 17 and this fourth thing that he's thankful for is that Jesus empowers our life and our ministry. And so he says in verse 16, I'll reread verse, verse 16. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And I love how he says this. Who's sufficient for these things? It's a life or death situation that we live with every day for people who are in our lives that don't know God and people who do. It's, it's a life or death thing for people. And Paul's saying, God, what, like, what were you thinking? You're putting me, you're, you're putting your spirit in me and you're giving me responsibility and the privilege to, to live out a godly life in front of people, to speak a godly life in front of people. And part of our responsibility as Christians is you're, you're allowing me to be part of your story by helping change people's lives. What are you thinking? Who can do this? And it's a rhetorical question, which means no one. You can't do it. You can't be Jesus for other people. You can't save other people. You can communicate with them. You can love them. You can carry the presence of God. It's the spirit of God who saves lives. And God wants us to live in that. He wants us to walk in that. And he wants us to, to, to be godly, to be Christians. And to separate ourselves from the things that the world does because then there becomes confusion. 
Maybe there's some people in your life, they have no idea that you're a Christian. By the way you talk, the, the way you live, the things you choose to do. And that's not right. And there's some of you that people know you're a Christian, and it's, you know, it still bugs them. Oh, there she is. I better get out of here. You know, she's going she's gonna to start talking Jesus to me or whatever. But Paul says, who's sufficient for this? I can't, I can't do this. And he, and he continues on in verse 17. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. See, it's not enough just to live a good life and not say anything. I know, you know, there's some quotes and stuff out there that, you know, it's better just to live the life than to talk about it at all, and that's not accurate and true. You need to do both. But if you're living a good life, even just from what Paul says right here, and I encourage you, Matt, don't be scared to share about what God has done in your life. If at anything, just share, hey, here's, here's what God has done in my life. Here's, here's what, what Jesus did for me. I was this way, and now I'm this way. I used to do this, and now I, I do this. And, and just you can even just leave it at that. You don't have to say, okay, Jesus was born, and you don't have to necessarily go through all of that. But just don't be afraid, because Paul wasn't afraid, and Paul is thanking God. He's saying, thank you, God, that you empower me. Thank you, God, that you commissioned me. And when he commissions you, when, when he calls you, he's going to equip you. And his presence that is alive in you, his presence, that aroma, that fragrance, um, that's what's going to do the work. And I, I heard a preacher say once, and so I wrote this down, and I'll read from here just so I don't get it wrong, but it's not, and so this is coming from a preacher, okay, that I heard this from, and now as a preacher saying this to you guys as well, it's not your ability to preach the gospel smoothly that changes lives. It's the power of God working through you that'll save them. And Paul references this idea back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses two through five that it's not that it's not about the craftiness and the wisdom of of how cleverly and how well we can speak that's going to save lives, but it's the power of God that's going to do it. So from First Corinthians, chapter two. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this morning, uh, if you're discouraged, take hope that God is leading you, that Jesus is leading you. He hasn't left you, even though it might feel like it. He hasn't left you. And not only is he, is he leading you, but he's leading you in victory. And it's painful and it hurts because you feel like you're alone. You feel like he has left you and he's not leading you, but he's working things out for you. He's working them out and he's, and he's waiting. And the hardest part about the Christian life is that that blasted four-letter word, wait. And he's, so he's leading, you, he's leading you in victory, and he has called you to influence others for him.
He's, he's done it. He's put his spirit in you. He's put his presence in you to help influence people for life and hopefully not death, but some, some will always resist. And lastly, that, that he empowers you. you. You can't do this thing on your own. You got to rely on him. You got to depend on him. You got to go to him. You have to be with him. Spend time with him in his presence and be refilled and re-energized. Sunday mornings is an awesome opportunity for that. If you're too busy to kind of do your own worship thing and alone time with God, Sundays uh, at the end of services are awesome. You can just come out here and hang out and linger around, spend time with Jesus. Because he wants to empower you and he is empowering you. So I want to pray and we'll come back up here in a little bit and, and allow you some, some time to respond. But Father, I want to pray for your people here this morning, for your church, that maybe they're going through a time of discouragement or depression right now. This, this cloud, Lord, has, has been hanging over them and, and there's good things going on in their family and in their lives and people around them, but they can't really, you know, they're saying, oh, that's so awesome, I'm so happy for you, but inside they're saying, I don't even really care. God, I, I want to pray. Lord, that they can hear your word this morning, that your, your word take up residence in their heart and, and, and bring them through that process, much like you did for me, to walk them out, Lord. Help them to, to still see you and to still hear your voice so that they can walk with you and follow you out of this, this time and they can get not back to a place, but they can get to a new place where they have a refreshed hope, a refreshed vision, or a, a refreshed blessedness in their life, God, that they can follow you with joy, not happiness, but joy that begins inwardly, not from an external circumstance, but it begins inwardly. Give them your joy. Give them your, your peace as you said you would give to us, not like the world gives, but as, as you give. For those in here that that aren't going through any of that, they know someone who is. And so God, I want to pray that, that you can use this, this message, this word, this passage of scripture this morning and, and, and empower them to call their friend, call their sister or their brother or their aunt, whoever it is they know that is discouraged, and just empower them and encourage them and give them the courage to, to just go to them and, and, and to encourage their, their discouraged friend. Because God, you're waiting for a mature bride. And God, as your bride, we're preparing and maturing and we're waiting for you to come and get us and, and so we can enjoy that feast and that meal and our, our time with you. And God, I pray for your church, that your church be encouraged, that your church be equipped and empowered and that discouragement no longer reigns and that, and that sin no longer reigns in these bodies. But by the power of your spirit living in us, Lord, empower us to run the race that you have called us to run. And I pray that for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.